Devin Nunes, we're back with the Devin Nunes Unplugged podcast. This week we have on Professor Margaret Cleveland. Mario, welcome with The Federalist. And Lee Smith, who everybody knows, he's been on many times on the show. Uh, look, guys, it's really an honor and privilege to have you uh, today because, you know, both of you are two of the best journalists. Uh, you were there the whole time during the Russiagate hoax, and you've been there writing uh, just phenomenal work, doing and phenomenal investigative reporting. And it's kind of interesting because both of you came to this in a different way. Lee, you were a career writer, uh, you know, first as a news guy, traveling, writing books, mm-hmm. uh, living overseas, uh, doing a lot on terrorism is where I first uh, read your read your work back in the day. I think you were in living in Lebanon or Middle East somewhere. And then Margo, uh, you actually started uh, as a law clerk, and uh, then out of nowhere, you started writing these pieces of analyzing the the RussiaGate hoax. So we're just uh, really excited to have uh, both of you today. And what I'm going to do is we're going to start off. So we're going to we're going to talk about the two tier justice system. Get your opinion on what I think is really passing the, crossing the Rubicon, really not going to be able to go back from here in this country any longer because we have the, the targeting of, of political enemies. As you, the three of us know, and most of the people watching, this started back in 2015 and 16 when they targeted the Trump campaign and the Republicans. And then it's just never stopped with multiple special counsels and impeachments and everything else. But it's all all related together. Everything goes back, as our good friend Cash Patel says, everything goes back to Russiagate. But with that, what I want to do is I want to play a clip. The 1023 produced to the House Committee's redacted reference that the foreign national who allegedly bribed Joe and Hunter Biden allegedly has audio recordings of his conversation with them. 17 such recordings. According to the 1023, the foreign national possesses 15 audio recordings of phone calls between him and Hunter Biden. According to the 1023, the foreign national possesses two audio recordings of phone calls between him and then Vice President Joe Biden. Well, there you go. That was really a bombshell. Chuck Grassley, who Senator Grassley from the state of Iowa, one of the best senators that I ever worked with, uh, worked early on with the Russiagate hoax. Uh, He was, I think, doesn't get the credit, but did a lot to help our investigation. And so, Lee, I want to just come out of the gate and just get your reaction to it's kind of deja vu of hiding evidence, the FBI, DOJ hiding information from the United States Congress. Yeah, um, unfortunately, that's not surprising. I think what I, I think what's new about this um, is that I, I've been arguing for some time that Joe Biden is basically at the head of uh, Joe Biden is basically the avatar for a number of networked interests, right? I mean, look, whenever we hear people saying, "Oh, Joe Biden, the Democrats can't run him anymore," everything that Joe Biden has done is great for the Democrats, whether it's open borders policy. Um, whether it's whether it's trillions of dollars thrown at the climate change agenda, whether it's the continued uh, campaign against Donald Trump, I, there, there, there's no reason for people to turn on Joe Biden, especially because Joe, just the fact that Joe Biden is semi comatose, that's what they got going in. They knew what they had going in. My take has been that Biden is at that as an avatar again for networked interest. And what 
um, Grassley's statement made me wonder is, wait, if the FBI has been sitting on this information for six years, to what extent is this leverage over the White House, right? If the FBI has been holding on to this and they know this is out there, I'm not sure anymore this is about the FBI protecting Joe Biden, unless by protection, we're talking about an organized criminal racket, that they have leverage on him and they can manipulate him and they can use him to do what they want to do. So that's what I thought was shocking about it, recognizing the amount of money and how long the FBI has been sitting on this. And of course, we can get into later who are all of the people who were involved who should have been looking at this, like Attorney General William Barr, and who did not look at it. Yeah, well... And Margot, this the timing of all this is really incredible as the person who had to sit through as the lead Republican investigator during the first uh, U- the Ukraine impeachment hoax, when clearly President Trump was he was saying that, hey, there might be a corruption problem. And well, SOB, there was a corruption <laughs> problem and the FO, the the FBI DOJ knew about it. Did they ever bring us this information? We were impeaching a president of the United States for something that he had every right to do that his own government, I think he probably sensed it, but that his own government was sitting on information that clearly knew about the corruption in Ukraine. Um, it was, I had been to Ukraine several times and spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe as chair mm-hmm. of the of the House Intelligence Committee. And there was never a time I wasn't over there where they would say, where the State Department and people that I work with, well, they have a corruption problem. Well, they have a corruption problem. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of Donald Trump, the president of the United States, getting on on a phone call with the president saying, hey, you might have a corruption problem. That's what I'm hearing. And that's what I always heard when I was over there. Mm-hmm. So, but what makes this worse is, is that high level people at the highest levels of our government within the National Security Division of the Department of Justice and the FBI, this is where this information would have been right in that department. And here we are impeaching a president over this. There had to be quite a few people that had to know that in there. Don't you agree, Ms. Uh, Margo? I, I think so. Although the timing to me isn't clear. Um, I can't remember when they did the first impeachment. It all kind of bl- uh, blurs together there. But they didn't have the, ta- uh, the, the confidential human source giving this info until June 30th of 2020. I do think that the FBI knew what was going on with Biden before then. They might just not know, have known that they had a confidential human source. But I think Obama knew what was going on. I think that's why Obama didn't come out and back him in the first place. I think Obama wanted somebody who would not put pressure on him, that Obama could run with his leftist policies, and that Biden was, you know, supposedly the moderate. So I think Obama knew what was going on at the time and just figured, you know what? I don't care. Joe can do what he wants. So I, I, to me, what is most troubling about those recordings is not what it says about the Bidens, but what it says about the FBI and also our media. This is a huge scandal. And I don't see anyone covering this. For goodness sake, they have a confidential human source saying that the owner of Burisma said he had phone calls about these $5 million bribes. And as one of the articles I wrote, went through, 
my sources gave me the background of these conversations and it was very natural. It was after Trump got elected that the, the source said to the owner of Burisma, well, are you upset that Trump won? And what does he say? He says, well, yeah, now I'm kind of nervous that they're going to investigate me. And the source says, well, you've got some sort of protection, right? And that's where the owner of Burisma says, well, yeah, you're not going to be, I never gave it right to Joe. I, you know, used all these different operations. It's going to take him 10 years to unwind. And that's also when he said about the audios, how the media is not looking at this is appalling. And that the FBI buried this investigation because it was sent to Delaware and that they they buried it. And what did they do? They allowed the Democrats, they allowed Raskin to come out and say, oh, no, Barr and Brady closed it off, which wasn't true. Yeah. Well, I think you're exactly right. The the information on the Bidens, I think, is well known, especially after the Hunter Biden laptop that was also buried. But let's take it. Let's take a step further. I think the focus you're saying the FBI, but it's really the FBI and DOJ that have successfully sat on this for for many, many years, because I, I think it dates back for a long time. They had to have known um, this is just the source. A source came forward. A whistleblower came forward to provide this to Senator Grassley and Congressman Chairman Comer. But my guess is there's a whole bunch of other information on other countries that these guys were taking money from that they would have probably had to have a, have knowledge of also. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, Congressman Comer said, and I want to write this up when I get around to it, he actually said that the operation and what the confidential human source said, it matched the MO of how the Bidens went and got money from Romania. And last month, you guys have already probably talked about it. I just realized that he had put this out. All the banking records and how it went through Romania and how Biden came out and talked about Romania and corruption. And the next thing you know, the money starts flowing into the Biden accounts. So you're, I think you're right. We've got China, which is a mess. We've got Romania. We've got the mayor of Moscow. There are just so many things to unwind here. Yeah. But it was Trump. It was Trump who was uh, had the ties to uh, to Russia. Remember, right? But but all along, it was it was the Bidens. I, mean, I don't think these are the question. Is what country did they not take money from? I mean, it was a you know at least uh, if you look at what the Clintons did, they created a foundation, and then they were funneling money into their foundation from these foreign countries, which you know th- at least they kind of did it out in the open. Uh, this is done just so secretly, and uh, as they try to track the money down, it's going to be. Um, you know, we're hearing, I heard this morning that uh, the Republicans believe there's at least 20 or $30 million that they think have, have went into the Bidens. I'm sure it's going to be more than that. Um, I want to say, I want to come back to you, Lee. Um, you've got your, you're actually going to do another live chat with the, your followers on Locals, which is part of Rumble yeah. that we work with. Um, that's at uh, five o'clock Eastern time. So people can tune in. Five. But also yeah. you're writing on Locals now, which is a Substack type feature that that Rumble now has. People can join there and you're putting up several articles yeah. a week, um, basically trying to be an independent journalist. Uh, I think Glenn Greenwald uh, was the first one to utilize this. And I think you might be the second one uh, now that's that's using uh, the, the Rumble platform uh, to do that. But if you go to local, we'll put it up on the screen, locals.com, you can yeah. 
Uh, you can follow Lee there and sign up to follow. Uh, Lee Smith, Lee Smith locals.com. So it's pretty easy. Hey, there. I want, I wanted to say, I wanted to pick up on what you and Margo were saying about the Clintons, if I may, um, sure. because, because what you just said about the Clinton foundation, well, we have to remember that another thing that the Clinton foundation was in addition to a way to process, uh, a way to process money to the secretary, the, the then secretary of state, for foreign officials, it was also an intelligence gathering organization, right? I mean, I'll look at all the mm -hmm. different people that Hillary Clinton knew, and and of course, what was the what was the most important pieces of intelligence that the Clint that the Clintons collected, and that was about Joe Biden in Ukraine, and we know that the Clintons had it because they gave it to the New York Times in December 2015. Really important story. That story talks about how uh, Joe Biden's efforts. Uh, to clean up corruption in Ukraine are, are complicated by the fact that his son Hunter is working for Burisma, right? The Clintons knew exactly what was going on. That was a shot across Joe Biden's bow in the event that he was thinking of getting back into the 2016 race. The Clintons said, if you come back in, you're going to regret it. We right. Know it we, we know how dirty you are. We know in particular what you're doing in Ukraine. And it, it, it's, it's actually what they did was uh, astonishingly cruel and brilliant because they dropped that piece, that New York Times piece. Biden was there that very day. They dropped the piece. He was in <laughs> Kiev. Astonishing, just astonishing stuff. Nerves of steel, the Clintons, right? The Clintons uh, yeah. knew what was going on. So this goes to what Margo was saying. Obama must have known. Here's the thing. Well, Every, everyone knew. Right. Well, that everyone was during knew. the during the middle of the Ukraine impeachment that we had to deal with uh, in, in Congress at that time. Um, John Solomon, the reporter for Just the News, had um, had a lot of this information. And then they they basically ostracized him. I think they almost booted him off Fox News. Um, they I think he might have got even removed. I think he might have lost his his job at the time uh, for for producing articles that were like you just pointed out, Lee, it wasn't it was first reported on by New York Times. And I think I think somebody else, I think it wasn't just the New York Times. Wow. That, there was the guy in Politico who's now at the New York Times. That's right. Um, Politico. And, Politico. Right. Yep. Uh, and but that was that was less about the Bidens. And that was just generally the involvement that the Ukrainians played in the 2016 election interference, um, yeah. dirty cop, mop-up op. Yeah, right? well, they that endorsed the ambassador. I've never even yeah. heard of this before. The ambassador to uh, the United States uh, from Ukraine yeah. actually endorsed uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, he, he, he wrote a letter. Or, I mean, he wrote Hillary a letter Clinton, that was I mean, published, I think, in The Hill. Or he wrote, a, he, he wrote an article. Right. It was scandalous what they were doing. But of course, you know, when all this came out, they were playing to block. So when Margot's saying, yeah, the press isn't reporting it now, this is this is the way that they've been since since Donald Trump. They were happy to help Hillary go after Joe Biden. But the idea that they're going to play it straight and report what's really going on now. Now it's that the, they're not going to budge. This is the way it is. It's not going to break through to them at all. This is only half of the country that understand what's happening. The other half or large parts of the other half may want to know, but their press isn't going to their press is going to block it from them, just like they block news of Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah. OK, so I want to walk everyone through uh, this indictment. And Lee, you wrote on your 
uh, locals page um, that the special counsel lied in the Trump indictment. So let's try yeah. to let's I'm going to have both of you kind of walk through each step of this. And I, I kind of look at it in, in in a few different buckets. But but there's the initial how you read the document, what it what it says um, versus what it actually what the uh, counts are actually about they're they're kind of diametric to each other it sounds really bad about classified documents but then when you read the actual counts they don't indict them on classified documents so why don't you walk us through firstly what the special counsel lied and then we'll go over to margo uh, well to talk what, about how she what, read that you know the the our our great colleague and uh and and friend um, superstar Cash Patel, he was really the one who filled me in on this, saying, look, there's this important thing they're supposed to fill out in the indictment if this is related to another case. And um, they said, no, it was not related to another case. So that's what that that's what that story is about. They're already lying in the indictment. The indictment I found, I mean, I, I, I really can't talk about it because it's not just that I'm not a lawyer, but it's really dense. So I'm sure I've, I've, I've been I've been looking, um, Devin, and I want to talk about some of this. We'll talk about it you know, after Margot, I want to go back and talk about how the um, this classified record stuff and the NARA stuff, how it looks an awful lot like crossfire hurricane. But I'm really interested in hearing what Margot has to say about the indictment, because I'm trying to read everything I can to get my, uh, you know, to yeah, get let's, my bearings on it. Yeah. And just so people understand that are, that are you know listening on this, if you're not watching it live here on this live stream, if you're listening to it later, uh, Margaret Cleveland was a law clerk. So Margaret, you're the probably and a lawyer. So you're the and a professor that teaches this stuff. So there's probably no one better than you to actually uh, go through this uh, indictment and, and explain what your first thoughts were when this came out. Sure. So what I actually focused on was the first, I don't know if it was like 30 counts, whatever, the ones that were all grouped together that were really uh, the espionage counts. And what hit me here is they kept talking about classified documents like that mattered, but that's not what the statute talks about. It talks about them being harmful to the national defense, that you know that they would be harmful to the national defense. And I actually called this out right when they did the, the mm -hmm. raid, how they were doing this kind of bait and switch. They were getting everyone to talk about classified documents to make people think, oh, there must be something, there must be a crime. But the Espionage Act doesn't require a document to be classified, nor does it being classified mean that it is one of those national defense type of secrets that would harm people. And I think what I see as kind of the biggest issue they're going to have in those counts is a lot of these documents were a couple years old. I don't see how they're going to say these documents had anything to do with national defense currently. And that they would have to go through and show that Donald Trump had the knowledge that they did. So I think the Espionage Act claims are going to be strange. And one of the things I think Trump's lawyers are going to do right off is say, you cannot talk about classified. That marking means nothing under the statute. And the jury is going to have to hear what the documents were, not that it was classified, not that it was top hmm. secret, and find out whether it's going to have any harm um, from, the, from the national defense perspective. Yeah. Um, well, I, the fact that they that they use classified documents over and over again throughout this, and then they use, instead of using the 
um, uh, the 1951 or two statute that that governs mishandling of classified documents, which is the law that would be enforced on somebody like myself if I would have walked out with, say, some documents from the House Intelligence Committee when I was in Congress, say, maybe took them back to my house in California, put them in my garage. I don't have a Corvette, <laughs> but, you know, For my your kids' bicycles. Look, if I did that, I'd be, I'd be, and, and if I later brought them out or they were discovered, and you know, I'd been, pro I would have been prosecuted under for mis mishandling classified documents, and um, and they, they surprisingly, they don't do this here, do they, Professor? They, they, they don't, and the reason is the the whether that statute would apply to Trump, the classified documents is debatable. And it's been a while since I read through the details, but before they actually served the, the, the warrant, Trump's attorneys wrote this letter and said, look, you can't charge him under a classified documents violation. They didn't even address the Espionage Act because I, I'm sure they didn't think that any reasonable prosecutor would try to throw that out there. But trying to get Trump for classified documents would not fly. And that was one of the things when it first came out, I said, this is a bait and switch. They're trying to get everybody no. you know, concerned about nuclear secrets. And right. that was to scare people that Trump was doing bad things, which the indictment was doing too, because it was talking about him talking to someone and saying, oh, this is really secret. I shouldn't be showing you this. That's Trump. I mean, that that's all I, when I heard him saying that, I, it sounded very they, much to me. But they don't, that's, but that's a good point though. That whole scheme, that, that whole scene that they sketch together, if you're just a lay person looking at it, it looks, it appears like um, that is all one, one um, occasion. But what they really did is they, they took two pieces of different types of, of interviews where one is of somebody saying, well, he one time was holding up some papers around in, in his hand. Then they 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 push that together with this supposed tape recording of him saying, well, I'd like to get that out. But, you know, I didn't declassify it. OK. And they mash that together to make it look like that was one scene. But right. then when you read the in, the actual indictments, even though this is what the fake news and, in, and I mean, even some smart people that I actually respect, they're saying, oh, my God, that was really bad that he did that. This is going to be terrible. But but when you read the fine print. They don't indict him on that part of the espionage. They don't indict him for sharing classified or sharing national defense information with any of those people. So right. they just put that in there for fluff and bluster. And I can't believe how, you know, I'm not even a lawyer. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, that looks really bad. But then when you read the fine print and wait, oh, wait a second, they put all that in there for what? For right. what purpose? It's basically the, the court of public opinion is what they were going for yeah. is to get. And the, I don't know how they're going to find a jury pool who doesn't have a preconceived notion on this and who can actually go in impartial. But they want the public to believe that he that the, pre, the president did risky things with these documents. And it, it just it's not going to fly when you get to court and you have the actual evidence presented to the jury. But going to, to Lee's point, I really think the bigger scandal is not the indictment, but how we got to the indictment, which was the archivist and the National Archives. And when Trump left the White House, 
instead of working with him as they did with former President Obama to ship classified documents to Hoffman Estates, Chicago suburb, where they were stored in a warehouse that used to be a furniture company, I think. They worked with him to make sure it qualified under the statute. If they had done that with Trump, it would have been no issue, but they didn't. There's no reason they couldn't have had Mar-a-Lago set up to receive those documents and start to work on getting his presidential library. So I think the bigger scandal is how they were setting this up. Like you said, it is Russiagate all over again. Yeah, and well, and let's and let's come back to that. I'm going to come to Lee on that very point because yeah. I think the whole way the archivist and all this stuff worked is very strange. Uh, but I do want to get to the live chat that we have going here on Rumble. Mm-hmm. I want to thank there's thank all of you for being here. We've got some good stuff here today. Um, so we actually have somebody speaking Portuguese in the live chat. So it says, uh, "Good day to my good friends." But I don't know if you're coming <laughs> from Brazil or Portugal or where. But thank you very much, Fatima. Um, <laughs> I think this is a joke, Lee, but uh, I think somebody's calling you saying that you're actually just artificial intelligence. You're not real, but Lee <laughs> is there. He is a real person. Why do um, I do I look fake? <laughs> um, but here, maybe here's the uh, lighting. <laughs> here, here we have, or maybe they're talking about me. I don't know. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is uh, from Bill, um, and I'll paraphrase what he's saying, but he does say. Um, he calls the 51 Intel weenies, um, which he's referring to the people who covered up the Hunter Biden laptop um, and asking uh, whether or not um, they're going to be, um, you know, hold a security clearance or be prosecuted. Um, I think the answer to that, well, is, you know, it kind of depends on whether or not you could, I don't know what they could be charged for at this point. I mean, they should not hold a security clearance, but what do you, what do you say, Margo? I don't see any way that they're going to be prosecuted. They should be ostracized. They should be publicly shamed. They should never have a role in anything with the government. They interfered with our election. And yet I don't see anything's going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's there's something interesting about the 30, the third, we see, we see all of these same themes again and again, the 51 spies, that's just like the 37 counts, right? It looks really impressive. It's a really big package, but once you open the package and start digging, you find it's only bubble wrap. That's all there is. There's nothing there. So the 51 spies thing is interesting. Yeah. So I want to move to, uh, thank you. And if you got, if, if folks have more questions, put them in the chat, we'll get to them before we go. Um, but Lee, let's let's talk about how this investigation was was uh, the predicate yeah. for this investigation. So, and Margo, you know about this too. But there has to be someone has to do a criminal referral. They did they didn't want to pull yeah. what they did in Crossfire Hurricane, where they just you know immediately said, "Hey, um, uh, let's just open an investigation because it's Trump." So somehow they coerced or they or they prodded the National Archivist to send over a criminal referral so they could start investigating. And Lee, you've done a little bit of reporting on that. I know you're working on it, but- I started looking at it after a few conversations we had, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. I went back and read the original reporting. uh, And of course, most of this comes out of the Washington Post. And here's what's really interesting, because 
the the documents that you see them talking about um, are the letter from Barack Obama to Donald Trump and the correspondence uh, from, I believe it's mostly from Kim Jong-un to Donald Trump. Yeah, and this is information you, that we now know, just to set the stage. Yeah, This is information that we got because Elise Stefanik, Congresswoman who I served with, um, mm -hmm. did was involved in the Russia uh, hoax investigation. She asked the archivist under oath, this was put out a couple of weeks ago, is largely unreported, surprise, surprise. Yeah. But that was his testimony in front of Congress that they used those two letters that, you know, I don't see how those aren't Trump's. I mean, I don't know how any normal person would argue and how you could do a criminal referral based on those right. two letters. I mean, no possible way that's ever happened in history, right, Lee? Well, no, it, ha it has not. Of course, nothing like that. And that that's that would presumably be a dispute between uh, between the former president's lawyers and the lawyers at NARA saying, we believe that this is part of our uh, part of our mission to preserve American history. And Donald Trump's lawyers would say, I don't think so. The, those were those were written personally to Donald Trump. He's going to keep them for his library or, or whatever or he's going to hang them in his home. It doesn't matter. So that would be a, an argument. Presumably that was part of the back and forth between Trump's legal team and NARA. Now, what you see in the press buildup, and this is really interesting, what you see in the press buildup is that's when we start seeing the um, references to 15 boxes of documents. Now, here's an important thing, right? Here's a very important thing to keep in mind about these documents. And of course, we all actually know this. We just forget it. Right. And when they talk about, oh, Donald Trump was tearing up documents, tearing up papers. Guess what? The originals are all digitally preserved. Everything that Donald Trump has, right, had or has. Whether it came from the White House, whether it came from another agency, whether it's the CIA, the Pentagon, there is a digital copy. And that's the job of NARA to preserve. Right. That's between NARA and records keeping at the White House. It's not the executive office of the president, and it's certainly not Donald Trump himself. So if NARA didn't have these documents, that's not up to Donald Trump to settle, right? But that's when the show begins. 15 boxes, oh my, Donald Trump out with American secrets. No, mm -hmm. these 15 boxes, if these, were, if these were documents that were produced for the president of the United States, they're what we might call uh, reference copies, duplicates, uh, copies uh, to be read at his convenience. So the idea that, the, again, re go back, I urge you all to go back and read the reports. Oh my goodness, Donald Trump was tearing up documents in the White House and people had to tape them back together. They didn't have to tape them back together because the originals ex exist digitally, right? But the important thing here was the show, right? What is Donald Trump doing? This is terrible. Is Donald Trump colluding with Russia, right? We see all the parallels again and again. Yeah. The press had to stage the show. And as Margot says, exactly right. It was bait and switch, and it's bait and switch all the way down the line. That's where we are right now. And that's what the indictment to me, I mean, it, it looks, we go from bait and switch to smoke and mirrors, right? That's the case that they have. That's the case. That's the case they have against Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't pass the smell test that that an archivist would all of a sudden be hair on fire. Oh my gosh, we're missing these two letters, one from Barack Obama, one from Kim Jong-un. My God, well, I got I to gotta alert DOJ immediately to right. this. Well, you know, you mentioned Elise Stefanik. There's something very interesting. Uh, I believe that uh, Breitbart reported it back in April, but it was based on uh, uh, testimony at the House Intelligence Committee. 
And it's very important, the two people who were testifying there, one of them, uh, very interesting character, I believe the name is Mark Taylor. And this guy, Mark Taylor, was at DOJ. He was at the National Security Division. And the National <laughs> Security Division, of course, we saw yeah. it was the core of the rot that, uh, <laughs> that was exposed to the American public that you exposed. Uh, Devin, to the American public with Russiagate. So what's going on? I mean, we'd like to get more details on this. We want to know exactly what happened, but it appears that DOJ, uh, look, NARA, it's an, it's an activist organization, right? You know, you know who the, you know who the big, um, the big donor to NARA is outside of uh, the three of us and, and, and every other American taxpayer, David Rubenstein. Right. Joe Biden's friend. Joe Biden spends Thanksgiving dinners with David Rubenstein. That's a guy who gives a lot of money to Which national. Is a, he's a uh, D.C. lobbyist, right? I think, uh, he's a... the co-founder and co-chair of the Carlyle Group, another one of mm -hmm. these big wealth management firms. Right. And of course, mm -hmm. these guys are all tied into China and all this other garbage. But he's very close to Joe Biden. So NARA is an activist, uh, a pro-Democrat activist organization. Surprise. Inside Washington, D.C., another pro-Democrat activist organization. But I think the key is here, there's something going on, there's something that went on between DOJ and different people at NARA. I think it's not that the whole organization freaked out. It looks to me, just as we saw, again, with Crossfire Hurricane, we saw it start well, with the State Department, and that turned into the investigation. I think there was some insider at NARA who is working with the DOJ to get the DOJ the referral to go in and knock down Donald Trump's door at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. And when you look at the National Security Division that Lee, you briefly mentioned, but we get the question all the time of how are they doing this? How do they continue to do this? Uh, meaning the left. Well, what they've successfully done is they have co-opted the National Security Division within the Department of Justice and the FBI. They've seeded people into that division that conveniently must run the entire Russia portfolio because they conveniently can continue to go back to the Russia playbook every single time. And they'll say, you know, according to 27 sources, uh, yeah, you know, right. within DOJ, there's a Russia problem with Trump. Right. Um, and this is the same thing. So you, I'm just, I'm just kind of pointing out here that that person, that, uh, that person that that's now over at NARA that testified uh, that Lee brought up, I, didn't, I don't know the name, but coming from the National Security Division, it's just, it just shows more of the same rot um, in there. And now it's, they're spreading these, kind of spreading the virus throughout the government where they can even corrupt the archives. Right. At two points I wanted to tie in for what Lee said is if you look back at the history, too, what happened was when Trump was walking to his air, to the helicopter when he left, the archivist said, I was thinking to myself, what the hell's in that box? He was carrying a box with him. They literally went to see what documents might be missing. Not, oh, you know what? We didn't find this. They literally said that they were looking for specific documents. And that's how they came across the documents that were missing that prompted the referral. And I also think it's important to recognize, and I don't remember who it was, but there was a request for a referral to be sent with Hillary Clinton for her mishandling under the analogous Record Maintenance Act. And what did the archivist say? No, that's not our business to do. So you can see this kind of double standard. And I absolutely agree 
there was some sort of plotting to get this investigation going, just like there was with Russiagate. And it's amazing to me that when you see all of these parallels, that people still are falling for it. Right. Well, what surprises me, Margo, I agree entirely. What surprises me, it's not that the left is pushing it, not that the left is going for it, but you look on Twitter and you look at you look at places that are uh, that are, you know, that I mean, the Federalist is is top of the, you know, top of the tops. But you look at some of the other conservative magazines and you look at some of the other conservative writers and the fact that these guys keep falling for it again and again. I mean, they did it through Russiagate and they're still doing it. And you're looking at this like, so I, I, I'm sorry, after what we've been through here the last six years, and you think this is an honest prosecution of the of Donald Trump? That's what you think? This is honest? Okay. Thanks. Thank, thank you for your service, uh, legal yeah. expert. Well, and you also saw, I want to point this out, that for the last, I don't know, couple months since Donald Trump's been going up in the up in the polls, you have the never Trump uh, folks that are all backing these other candidates saying that, don't you guys understand the Democrats are actually doing this because they want Trump to win because they know they can they can beat Trump. And now all of a sudden, like they all got the memo and now they're all supporting this indictment too of Trump. Last all the presidential candidates now, except for Vivek, the guy that was, went down to Miami, the business guy. The rest of them now are all saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, this looks really, really bad." Well, I hate to tell you, candidates that are out there, many of whom I I know well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say for two months in a row that oh they're just doing all these indictments for Trump to for Trump to win. Well, you're endorsing the indictment now. So for two months, so look. What really happened here is all the never Trump donors that are supporting these candidates uh, all said they all got the memo. Look, you guys are getting your asses kicked. You better get with the program because the only way we're going to stop Trump is more indictments and and we got to put them <laughs> in prison. Yeah, right. That's what's that, happening here. Right. That's that theory was that theory always struck me from the beginning is moronic. I'm like, what? What kind of theories? Oh, yeah, that's right. They're trying to destroy Donald Trump. So they're trying to destroy Donald Trump and put him in jail. For the rest right. of his life, but really they want to run against him. I mean, by that theory, he's like, wait, guys, we, we can't hurt him too much because if we hurt him too much, then he <laughs> might beat Joe Biden. The whole thing is just idiotic. Well, it's it's idiotic, but now they have no, you know, now they look foolish. Right. And, and you know exactly what happened. Their money, all their money people called them up and said, What are you doing? We gotta, we gotta take this guy out. Right. Then I'm talking Republicans here, I not know. uh not Democrats. Right. Okay, so um, the Republicans right. aren't sending their best. They're not sending their best. So I want to. I'm going through the uh, uh, the feed here. Um, so, so Margo, where do you see this? I get we got kind of a few questions here on where do you see this ultimately going? The actual charges that are in the indictment. Where do you see? Um, what do you think is most problematic for um, the the prosecutors in this case um, in terms of the process? Um, where in the process, like this whole issue of how they, I mean, very similar to the Russia hoax and, and General Flynn, where they, I mean, they they target, they, they bribed a judgeship in front of the lawyers is the accusation on yep. um, to they turned Trump's lawyers. They took away his, his attorney client privilege. Um, you've been there in the trenches on this. Have you ever seen anything like this? How should we look at this 
Right. So this case is the lawyer term is sui sponte. Excuse me, not sui sponte. Um, I'm forgetting my Latin here. It's <laughs> one of a kind. <laughs> it's one of a kind. It hasn't happened before. It will never happen again. And um, hopefully all the lawyers are telling you what the phrase is in your chat there. They uh, sui generous. Sui generous. Thank you. The non-lawyer will tell us. But there's nothing that compares to this. I think that the biggest problem in the prosecution is going to be the state of mind they have to prove that Donald Trump had to violate any of these laws. And especially when you look at the Espionage Act. But from a practicality, I just I just don't see how this is going to work in the criminal justice system with the front runner on trial as we're going forward with an election. So I, I think that from the technical legal standard issue, we're going to look at the state of mind as being their biggest problem. I think the the news we got about the the you know dangling the judgeship out there, that's going to get some you know backlash that you're going to have more in the public arena. But what I just don't see is how this is possibly going to work when Trump is trying to campaign. Do you think they're going to be able to have any sort of gag on him? It, it, it just it can't work. And the reason we have no precedent is because you don't do this kind of thing in a democratic republic. But we are where right, we are. Right. But we but we have. And Margo, in your, in your recent reporting, too, I want to get your thought on this before we before we go, um, because uh, you wrote a little bit about uh, one of the Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times reporters, Mr. <laughs> Goldman, who was a PT, uh, P-tape hoaxer extraordinaire uh, in the, involved in Russiagate. Um, but, uh, but you had some recent reporting on Mr. Goldman. Oh, my goodness. I am encouraging everyone to take a look at my article today, but more so read what Goldman wrote from, I believe it was December 11th, 2020. He is going through just trashing Scott Brady, who was the U.S. attorney that Barr had tasked with reviewing the information. Mm. And he's saying how, oh, Brady wanted this investigation to continue into certain matters. Well, you know what that certain matter was? It was that 1023. You read that New York Times article with mm. the knowledge we have now, we had FBI guys who were trying to cover up the 1023 that was implicating Joe Biden, President-elect Biden, back in 2020. And now we've got the exact opposite. So everybody needs to take a look at the underlying article he wrote in 2020 that was fed to him by FBI guys and realize how the press is now really the mouthpiece for the FBI and anything that they want to push. Yeah. So you're so Lee, I mean, you did a lot of reporting on this, too, where you can actually go back and retrospect, read the articles and you can tell that these guys are sitting on classified information, I think, is what Margo's point is here, that this would have been this would have been classified information that um, that clearly they continue to leak, uh, which is illegal. 
And it goes back to this is why what the people that have to be gone after here, Biden, the Bidens are going to have their day with what with whatever's going to happen. I think nobody thinks right now that that the the current attorney general is going to investigate them at all. Mm-hmm. And nobody can find the special prosecutor that's supposed to be looking at this, which he also, guess what, is a Russia gate hoaxer, um, was involved in all the FISA court mess and stopping our investigation. But Lee, you followed the career of a lot of these guys who are basically just taking this information and then leaking it out. Yeah, I, I mean, what, what, the way I've described them now for a while is, yeah, that's, that's not it's not a partisan press. That's not what we're looking at anymore. This is the outward face of the intelligence services. The media is part of the intelligence apparatus. And we talk about banana republics, third world hard security regimes. That's exactly what we see there. What we've seen happen before our eyes um, how about this? I'm going to put an optimistic spin on it, right? <laughs> Be- because it's this, our, our eyes have been open and it started, Devin, when you walked out uh, into the Capitol Rotunda, March 21st or March 20, I think it was March 21, 2017. And you said, I've seen evidence that uh, the, the transition team, the president's circle has been spied on. So mm-hmm. since that time, we've had our eyes open. And you know what? That, I mean, for all that we've suffered, for all that we've seen, uh, our country suffer, our republics suffer, right? Don, Donald Trump and his aides, Mike, General Michael Flynn, all of these people suffer. Nonetheless, Americans, we've had our eyes open. We know what's going on now. We know what's happening. We know what we're dealing with. We're not just dealing with, we're not dealing with a normal American political party, right? We're dealing with a, with, we're dealing with a Leninist faction, right? right? And now at least we know what we have, what we're dealing with. So final word, Professor Cleveland, for you today. Sure. I, I absolutely agree. We know what we're dealing with, but the problem is with the censorship that we are seeing, that same group impose on the country. If we don't stop the censorship, we're never going to fight back. Yeah. I think, I think that's exactly right. Well, look, uh, guys, it's Friday afternoon. I want to thank both of you for being here. You can follow Margot Cleveland here on True Social. And she writes for The Federalist, one of the great, uh, one of the great writers and investigators uh, that's out there trying to do real work. And, of course, Lee Smith. You can join Lee Smith in about an hour and interact with Lee Smith. Lee Smith's going to be taking your questions. And, Lee, give me the website again for everybody. Lee Smith.locals.com. We're starting at five. Um, it should be a lot of fun. We are going to be talking about Grassley. We're going to be talking about Biden corruption. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to send, uh, include some links to a couple articles on my locals page. Um, so if you guys want to take a look at them, but really, I hope you guys will come along and give you an opportunity to ask some questions. See you soon. All right. This is Devin Nunes. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and those of you who are listening after the fact, make sure you go and Rate us on, uh, on, on rate the podcast because we have all the haters that love to put one star. So if you, or maybe, maybe we do suck. Maybe we, we only deserve <laughs> one, one star. Who, kn- who knows? But, uh, but thank you all for being here. This is Devin Nunes. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks.